And what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, you know, give us a follow on Spotify, a like, a rating, uh, you know, all those things that you can do on uh, both those applications. Uh, you can also follow the uh, social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Um, really excited for this week, you guys. I got, obviously, plenty of Patriot stuff to talk about today. Um, then guest Friday coming up later this week. Really excited about uh, this guest to be able to uh, talk Bruins. That's going to be a lot of fun with uh, training camp opening in uh, just a few days. That will be really exciting. So uh, before we get going, I just want to say thank you to uh, John Veneziano coming on last week, talking some uh, U.S. men's national team as they get ready for their final uh games before the uh, World Cup in two months. They got a couple games against Japan and Saudi Arabia. So both of those games, I think uh, they're playing Japan later this week um, than Saudi Arabia next week. So big games for Team USA before the uh, World Cup hits uh, about uh, two months from uh, Wednesday. Two months from Wednesday will be uh, Team USA's first game uh, against Wales. So definitely uh you could expect uh, John will definitely return at some point uh, to do like a uh, World Cup preview. So that will be really exciting. But uh, we're going to get back to talking about what we're here to talk about today. We're going to uh, start with the Patriots, who uh, evened their record at 1-1 one and one with a win yesterday in Pittsburgh. You know, I think that clearly it was not the most perfect game, you know, and I think... Uh, the Patriots certainly took advantage of a Pittsburgh offense that um, is a little limited. You know, I think uh, it's an interesting decision that that's a team that's choosing to go with uh, Mitch Trubisky, you know, rather than Kenny Pickett, the, the rookie that, you know, they picked in the first round. So, you know, I think that uh, it's an experiment that I think uh, Pittsburgh is probably not going to be wanting to try for a lot longer you know, just based on what you've seen with Trubisky the first two games, you know, I think that that's a team that was pretty lucky uh, to win that first game. So, you know, this was a Patriots team that I don't think played a perfect game necessarily, but I thought that this game was a little bit more cleaner than uh, the Dolphins game, you know, in which the mistakes really were compounded. Um, so I thought that for the most part, they played a decent game. You know, we'll talk about Mac Jones in a little bit, but I just think that just being able to get a win, you know, be able to get through the first two games with a win, you know, I think just does kind of a lot for this team's confidence that I think even winning against a team like Pittsburgh that I think is, again, limited in what they can do offensively, it still should make you feel good. You know, this is a Patriots team that has been through a lot the first couple of weeks. You know, they've been away from home these first two games, and I just think the idea of getting a win before you come back home, you know, gives you some confidence. I mean, I think it would have been really tough, you know, if you come out of both of these games with losses. Um, but I thought that they did a good job, you know, offensively. I think they looked a little bit better. The offensive line was a lot better today, uh, or yesterday, I should say. Mac Jones, you know, wasn't sacked, 
And I don't really think I recall really any plays where he was, you know, hurried and made a made a mistake because there was pressure in his face. You know, I think the offensive line was much improved from what we saw in Miami, you know, and I think that, sure, the defense and maybe the personnel had something to do with it. You know, I think that Miami, they're an aggressive defense. You know, Pittsburgh is too. You know, Brian Flores is obviously involved with the uh, defensive play calling or uh, defensive coaching, I should say. Um, and so that's an aggressive defense too. You know, clearly missing TJ Watt was huge, you know, and I think it helped the Patriots. But I really thought that the offensive line, minus some of the pre-snap penalties, which, you know, are always frustrating and a couple holding penalties. I thought that for the most part, they did exactly what they're supposed to do, which is keep Mac Jones upright, you know, and that's really kind of the important stuff. So there were improvements offensively, you know, Damian Harris, I think that they gave him a little bit more run in this game. You know, clearly with that last drive, Patriots take over with like six minutes left. They hang on to the ball the rest of the game. You know, that was huge to see him and that offensive line be able to, you know, close out the game. You know, I think that that was huge. Um, defensively, you know, the Patriots made a couple of nice plays, had a great interception um, on that great play. Mac Wilson with the tip and then Jalen Mills right where he's supposed to be. So that was excellent to see. I thought that the pass coverage was good. You know, I don't think that you're going to see Jalen Mills completely shut out a wide receiver. You know, certainly Deontay Johnson did have some good receptions, but I think for the most part, the Patriots really didn't allow any deep passes, you know, over the top. You know, I think that that was one of the things that they did well week one in Miami that, sure, they let Tyreek Hill have a lot of receptions. He had a decent amount of yards, but they kept everything in front of them. And I think that that's what they did yesterday too. And, you know, Najee Harris certainly was probably a little limited on the injury, but I thought that, you know, defensively, they didn't really let him do anything. You know, he did have a couple of receptions, but, you know, 14 yards was the longest reception he had. He had 15 carries for 49 yards. Eight yards was the longest run. So, you know, I think defensively, they really played excellent. I thought that clearly the special teams turnover was huge. Great play by uh, Brendan Schooler uh, getting down the field and, uh, you know, Steelers not deciding to block him. And, you know, you see a punt hit Gunnar Olszewski right in the face and uh, Schooler's right there to pick it up. So that was great. Um, I think that, you know, offensively, as we said, Harris, I think, had a better game. They gave him a little bit more run in this game. He had six more carries than he did in week one, you know, just under five yards per carry. Ramondre Stevenson, nine carries, 47 yards, you know, not anything that's going to be amazing, but he did have five yards of carry. So you kind of look for those running backs to have, you know, 4.5 to five yards of carry, something like that. And, you know, Harrison Stevenson are right where you want him to be. Um, Nelson Aguilar was outstanding in this game. This was probably his probably his best game as a Patriot. Um, you know, really did a great job stretching the field. Obviously, that great touchdown, um, winning a one-on-one 50-50 ball, which, you know, I'll be honest, <laughs> that's not exactly the guy that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, 
Devontae Parker is the guy that you want to see win those 50-50 balls, but, you know, Nelson did a great job on that play, you know, made a couple of nice receptions too. Um, six catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Jacoby Myers, you know, good as always, you know, reliable as always, you know, never a guy that's going to really stretch the field, but, you know, nine receptions, 95 yards, you're going to take that every time. You know, I thought that it was good to see Kendrick Bourne get a little bit more involved, but I also think, you know, based on what you saw in training camp, Nelson Aguilar had a great training camp, you know, and I think had a, had a good summer and had a better summer than Kendrick Bourne, and I think that it's just as simple as that. He's a guy that's had a better camp, and, you know, the guy who looks better is going to get more opportunities, and it's just like, it's a little frustrating that this Bourne thing has become more of a, you know, issue than it needs to be. And I don't really think it's anything more than just there are guys that they're looking to get more involved. You know, Devontae Parker really didn't do much in this game, which is frustrating. But, you know, look, based on the summer, Kendrick Bourne's the fourth receiver on this team. And I just think that it's unfortunate that there are some people that are taking that as, you know, oh, the coaching staff hates him. You know, and I, I, and we know that it's not that simple, but there are some people that do think that way, you know, and think that, oh, Bill Belichick and the offensive coaching staff hate him because he got in a fight in preseason. And it's like, you know, getting into a fight in preseason and whatever issues he was going through during the summer, that has a lot to do with what the, what the depth chart is going to be when you start the season. And so I think that, yes, you can look at what he did last season, but it's like you can't just give guys leeway to do whatever they want just because they had a good season a year ago. And it's just like the Patriots have their way of, I don't want to say dis disciplining guys, but it's like it's kind of a thing that they've done forever that, okay, if you don't do as well as you should in the summer or if you're you know, missing a meeting or two, if you're getting into fights, it's like, okay, you know, it doesn't matter what you did the season before. And it's like, it's part of, you know, why the culture of this team has been so successful, because you're not letting one player feel like they're more important. And I'm not trying to say anything negative um, about Kendrick, because I think he's a great guy. I think that he's a great guy to have in the locker room. I think that he's a guy that guys love being around. But I also think that, you know, you have to hold guys accountable. And I'm not trying to say that the little, the small targets he's had in the first two games are because of that. I think it just means that, okay, the summer that he had, he's lower on the depth chart because of that. And there are guys that the Patriots are giving more opportunities to. And who knows, that might change during the course of the season. You know, I think that we hope that Devontae Parker breaks out at some point, but if he doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, then Kendrick Bourne might be getting more opportunities. But I think what you're seeing in the first two games is a guy who is kind of behind a little bit, and there are guys that are ahead of him, and the guys that are ahead of him have had better games so far. And it's just like, it's not exactly that hard to figure out, but I just think that there are some people that have preconceived notions about certain certain people in this organization and they want to go to that and blame that for the reason why someone's not performing or the reason why someone's not playing and it's just like 
you kind of have to be able to, you know, use your brain a little bit. I don't mean to say that in a negative way, but it's like, it kind of makes sense. Um, so I think just Aguilar, great to see him having um, a strong game, you know, defensively, really no notes in this. You know, I thought that, again, it's a Pittsburgh offense that's pretty limited in what they can do. You know, Trubisky's a guy who, you know, is going to be what he's going to be. But I think it's encouraging that you've seen a defense that I think there were some concerns about, you know, in the off season. But I think what you've seen through two games, it's pretty good. You know, you allowed 14 points to Pittsburgh this week. You know, basically 13 points to Miami. You know, I don't really count the defensive touchdown that the Dolphins scored. So, you know, I think uh, it's good to see that the defense is kind of stepping up. Um, you know, I think getting into Mac Jones in the game that he played, I don't think I was exactly pleased with his game. You know, I think that um, this was probably one of his worst games as a Patriot. You know, I don't mean to say that in the most negative way, but, you know, you look at, you look at some of the throws he made, he's pretty lucky that he didn't have two interceptions in this game, you know, made a great play, or made a great throw on the Aguilar play, you know, giving his guy a chance to make a play, um, but I do think that missed on a bunch of throws, you know, he was pretty inaccurate in this game, you know, quarterback rating of 79, which, you know, isn't great, but I think that, look, He's still a young quarterback. He's developing. He's going to have games like this, you know, and I don't think he was that bad. You know, 250 yards passing is pretty good. But, you know, I think ideally you want to see him be more accurate. And I think that there are definitely some throws you would have liked to have back. You know, there was a throw, I think, in the second half where he overthrew, Ken overthrew Kendrick Bourne, and it would have been a, a big play. Um you know, obviously the interception, that was kind of not a great decision. You know, you have Pittsburgh playing that deep safety to Fitzpatrick, and, you know, he comes over the top and makes that play. You know, that's kind of on Mac. That's not really on the receiver. You know, that's a play where I think Mac needs to be aware of, okay, there's going to be a safety coming over the top if you're going to go deep. So, you know, clearly some mistakes in this game, but, you know, they won the game. And I think that that's important. But I think we do, again, need to remember that this is Mac Jones. He's in his second year. He might make some decisions here and there that are going to be bad. You know, he'll throw some interceptions. You know, you're going to have to live with it. You know, and I think that it's just, it's going to be what it's going to be. And look, I'm not trying to compare him to Tom Brady or anything, but it's like, look, Tom Brady had these types of games when he was um, a rookie, second, third year player or whatever. Yes, you know, they won the Super Bowl in his second season, but, you know, you still saw him make mistakes. And that's what's going to happen with a guy like Mac. And I think that he's a smart kid and I think that he's hard on himself and, you know, is motivated to make himself better and make himself better for the team. So in the long run, I'm not concerned, but I do think that This is a game that I think you look at and you wonder, gee, you know, if he was at his best, the Patriots probably blow out the Steelers. But, you know, games like this are going to happen. I think that we all need to be 
kind of willing to understand that, that he will go through some of these growing pains. But I think the important thing is the offense made improvements in this game. You know, I think that the running game was a little bit better. You got some more guys involved in the passing game. You know, the Steelers pretty much took away Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith in this game. So you kind of had to rely on your wide receivers, and they played well. And as I said, the offensive line played well too. So, you know, I think that, look, 17 points against a Steelers team that's not very good isn't exactly something to, you know, throw a parade over, you know. But I think you got the win, and I think that that's the important thing. And I think just for the confidence of a team that's been on the road for the first couple weeks of the season, you know, is huge. You come home with a win. Your first win, you know, after a pretty disappointing week one loss, you come back with a win, and here you go. You're coming home, and granted, it's going to be a tough opponent next weekend with the Ravens, but I think that you can feel better about this team and better that, okay, there were incremental improvements from week one to week two. The offensive line looked a lot better. You had some receivers that had better games than they did in week one. You know, the running game was a little bit better. You know, I really don't think there were big issues with play calling in this game. You know, I think that sometimes most of the issues the Patriots have had is execution. And I think that that tells you that, you know, it's early in the season and the Patriots are still trying to figure out who they are as a team. But I think that being able to see improvements is huge. You know, because that's at the end of the day, that's what you want to see. You want to see a team week by week getting better. At the end of the day, that's what you want to see is you want to see improvement week to week. Um, and I think we got it. So, you know, here's hoping that the decision making for Mac Jones can be even better next week. You know, and the defense can continue to be solid. I do think the defense, this is probably going to be the first very difficult test for this defense playing an offense like the Ravens. But, you know, if you look at what the Ravens did yesterday, I'm not really sure that we should be looking at the Ravens team like they're unbeatable. You know, Lamar Jackson certainly was amazing in that game. You know, offensively, they were able to do whatever they wanted. However, that's a Baltimore defense that played probably one of the worst defensive games that I've ever seen, you know, to a Tiger Bailoa threw six touchdowns in that game. You know, they blow a 21-point fourth-quarter lead. You know, that's not a defense that I'm very concerned about. And I know that, look, the Dolphins definitely have more dynamic offensive players than the Patriots. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they don't, but it's like, you know, that's a Baltimore team that got into, got into a shootout with a team that you actually played really well defensively against. So it's like it should give you some confidence that, okay, here's a team that the Patriots played week one. They gave up 13 points to that offense. That same offense scored 42 points yesterday against, against the Ravens. So it's like, I'm not sure that this Ravens team is exactly unbeatable. However, you know, the offense still is dangerous. You know, Lamar Jackson is just a problem and the Patriots really have to be at their very best tackling um, in this game um, on Sunday at Foxborough, obviously Patriots season opener. Um, 
at Gillette, so that will be great, but I think defending Lamar Jackson is going to be kind of priority number one, and if the Patriots can do a good job of kind of keeping him contained, which they actually did when they played the Ravens two years ago, you have a pretty good chance of winning this game. You know, I think that Lamar Jackson certainly has got a lot of talent throwing the football, but I think you kind of want to make him into a pocket passer. Look, that's easier said than done, you know, considering how athletic he is. But I do think that this is going to be the first game that you're going to be able to see, okay, here are the guys that Patriots prioritized in the offseason. Speed and quickness and athleticism. You know, and you can get a look at someone like a Mac Wilson, Jabril Peppers, who made a couple nice plays yesterday. You can kind of get a look at some of these guys and how they can use these guys against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen when they play Buffalo uh, later in the season, um, and also Kyler Murray. So, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a game that, you know, you walk into and you're like, oh my God, the Patriots, there's no way they can win this game. You know, I think if they can reasonably contain Lamar Jackson, keep him under 80 rushing yards, they should have a pretty good chance to win. You know, and this is a Baltimore defense that I think is not as good as it used to be. And I think that the Patriots offense is kind of due for a breakout game. You know, obviously they played better yesterday, but I think if the offensive line plays as well as they did yesterday... Mac Jones improves with his decision-making is a little bit cleaner and more accurate. I think the Patriots could score 30 points in this game. I know that that sounds like a really lofty expectation, but I think that, you know, you take away some of the mistakes they had yesterday, maybe they score upwards of 20 points. But I think, I'm not going to say that, oh, this is a game that you have to score 30 points. Um, because I'm confident in the Patriots' defense that they're going to be able to, you know, make enough plays, that they're going to do a good job of trying to take Mark Andrews out of the game. They're going to try to do a good job of containing Lamar Jackson when he runs. And so I think it's a defense that the Patriots, I think, can take advantage of. Take advantage of a defense that let, you know, Miami score 42 points yesterday. I don't think the Dolphins are scoring that many points again. Um, but I don't look at this game and think, oh, this is impossible. You know, it's definitely possible if the Patriots play well enough defensively, they clean up the mistakes, and Mac Jones plays a better game. You know, I think you can win this game. I definitely think you can. I think that Baltimore is favored by a couple points, but I do think that it's possible the Patriots could win this, you know, 28-25, to 27-24, something like that. I really wouldn't be surprised if they were able to come out with a win um, because they're going to come out excited, you know, obviously first home game of the season um, against a top quality opponent. You know, one thing I will say though, and I know that this Ravens team has changed a little bit, but the Patriots did beat Baltimore two years ago with Cam Newton. So, you know, I don't think it's crazy to think that the Patriots could beat this Ravens team. Um, and especially the way that they looked yesterday. So, you know, we'll see. Game's still a long way off. Uh, Patriots did have a couple of defenders that left the game um, at a point yesterday. I do believe, though, that Jawan Bentley left the game, and I think he did return. I think Kyle Duggar, Devon Godshaw also uh, left the game. So 
will kind of pay attention to their um, their injuries and hope they can be available when they uh, play the Ravens because the Patriots will need as many healthy defenders as they can get. You know, Bentley obviously has been a tackling machine for the Patriots the last couple of years, and, you know, Duggar probably is the Patriots' best defensive player. So you want to make sure that both of those guys are available. And, you know, Godshaw has also been a big part of the Patriots' run defense that, you know, looked pretty good yesterday. So I'm excited for this game against the Ravens. First kind of big test for this Patriots team early on. Um, especially defensively, but again, I think that this is a game that's winnable for them, so uh, look for this to be close. It's going to be another close game, uh, probably like yesterday, but I do think the Patriots can make enough plays. You know, if they keep Mac Jones upright, I think that they should be able to win this game. Um, so I think moving on to the Bruins, as you may have noticed, I tweeted about a hockey season uh, about to begin. <laughs> it's really exciting. You know, I've always been a huge Bruins fan. You know, you folks obviously know that listening to this podcast, you know, I love talking to them even when they're in the off season. Um, but it is almost that time. Training camp starts uh, this week. We'll give you guys an update with the uh, rookie tournament that's been going on in Buffalo. The Bruins youngsters have played a couple of games. I first wanted to take a look at what the roster looks like. The roster was announced last week, but I think after we had finished recording. Um, so most of these guys, you know, really no surprises here. You know, Beecher's on the roster, Jacob Laukov, Lysel, uh, Mark McLaughlin, Georgie Merkulov. Uh, Brett Harrison is on the roster. However, I believe he was hurt. Um, during training camp for, forget the junior team that he plays for. Um, so he was supposed to be available, to, but obviously he's not played. Um, and then a couple of defensemen, a couple of draft picks, recent ones. Uh, Ryan Mast, six-rounder in 2020, in 2021, uh, I should say. Uh, Frederick Brunet was a draft pick this year. Jackson Edward as well. Uh, Mike Callahan, an undrafted free agent that the Bruins picked up maybe two years ago. Um, so the Bruins have had a couple games. They actually do have a game going on right now um, in Buffalo. The Bruins are playing the Devils. So um, a couple of goals in the Bruins' first game as uh, Johnny Beecher scored the uh, go-ahead goal. Luke Toporowski, I think that's how you say it, um, was um, invited to the Bruins rookie camp, I believe. Um, he had signed a two-way or two-year AHL deal with the Bruins um, in June, so he had scored a couple goals. Um, Fabian Lysel also had a shorthanded goal. Uh, Mark McLaughlin had a goal as well. So um, all three of those guys, Lysel, Beecher, and McLaughlin, have had uh, some good games. Beecher had a tying goal yesterday, or on Saturday. Uh, Bruins lost. Bruins uh, won their first game, I should say, against the Senators, five to four, um, and then lost on Saturday, six to four, to the uh, Penguins. Bruins will be playing the Devils youngsters today, um, and that will close out the rookie tournament for the Bruins. So, 
you know, just good opportunity for these young guys to get an opportunity to get into some action, you know, see what they can do, kind of get their legs fresh and under them uh, for those guys specifically that will be at the Bruins training camp when it opens this week. So, um, you know, good to see all three of those guys performing, you know, Beecher especially, you know, I think that Lysel obviously is the guy the Bruins are most excited about and McLaughlin we got to see a little bit last year for some games uh, but Beecher's a guy that looked really good when he came up to Providence um, towards the end of last season and he's a guy that I think definitely could challenge for a roster spot so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do um, and all three of those guys will be at uh, regular training camp when that opens on Wednesday I don't believe that they'll be skating until Thursday but it's going to be exciting. You know, I think that this is a Bruins team that I think, uh, as you folks know, I'm always super optimistic about our teams, but I think that this is a Bruins team that I think does have a very good chance to be really good. You know, I think that even you look at some of the teams in the division, and certainly there were some teams that got better, but you kind of look at the top of the division, your Tampa Bay, your Toronto, your Florida, you know, I don't know if either of those teams got necessarily, you know, that much better. You know, and arguably, you could say the Bruins kind of got a lot better. You know, I know that we kind of love to look at what other teams are doing, but it's like the Bruins brought David Krejci back, and, you know, if he's anything close to what we expect, the Bruins are going to be a really good offensive team. Bringing in Pavel Zaka, who probably is going to have a good year, you know, I do think that this is a team that's going to be good. I mean, obviously, the, the injuries to start the season are going to be tough. But I think that this team has always had a good culture. And you got a new coaching staff. And I think that that is going to kind of light a fire under some guys. It's going to get some guys to really play motivated. Um, you know, this is a team that I know that the Bruins did fire Chloe Julian midseason and immediately started playing better under Bruce Cassidy. This is obviously... A little bit different because the coaching change took place in the offseason, but you could see the Bruins kind of get off and running this season. So there's a lot of things to be excited about. Um, but I think going back to those three teams that I mentioned, Toronto, you know, still obviously an offensive, just, just an unbelievable just an unbelievable group of offensive players. Um, but I don't really know if they got better goaltending-wise. You know, they traded they traded in Jack Campbell, and they got Matt Murray and Ilya Sorokin. Or no, Ilya Samsonov, I should say. Um, and, you know, I don't know if they got better goaltending. You know, Tampa Bay is a team that, obviously, they're always good, but they're a team that's made the Stanley Cup final three years in a row, so... It's possible that you see some regression there. And, and Florida, you know, a team that I think a lot of people are excited about. I don't think they got better in the coaching market. You know, no disrespect to Paul Maurice, but I always feel like his teams have never been great. You know, he's coached some good teams, but I don't think he's really coached any great teams. And I do think that Florida arguably got worse with the Kachuk trade. Obviously, Matthew Kachuk's an amazing player, but Florida lost Mackenzie Weaker and they lost Jonathan Huberto. You know, those were two of their biggest, most productive players. 
Uyghur not so much in the point department, but, you know, I don't really know if Florida got that much better. Um, you know, arguably Calgary won that trade. Um, but I do think that this is a Bruins team that it's, you know, you can feel confident about this group. You know, this is a group that most of these guys have been together. Most of these guys like playing with each other, you would think. <laughs> so I do think that this is going to be a good season. Obviously, the beginning portion of the season will be a challenge, but I do think the Bruins will be will be okay. You know, I think with that second line, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it the first line, you can. You know, with Krejci, uh, Pasternak, and Taylor Hall, you know, I don't think the Bruins are going to miss a beat offensively with that group. Um, but I do think that it's big opportunity for Jake DeBrusque, big opportunity for Pavel Zaka, you know, play on that top line uh, with Bergeron. Um, I think just looking at some guys to maybe watch this week uh, as training camp opens, the Bruins do, uh, I should say, the Bruins do have a preseason game uh, Saturday, which is really exciting. Bruins will take on the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, just kind of taking a look at some guys to watch. You know, hard to know if a lot of the regulars are going to play in that preseason game on Saturday. Um, but I think just in camp, you know, it'll be important to watch someone like Pavel Zaka to see how he does, you know, see how he does with the new line. Um, you know, and a lot of the younger guys, Trent Frederick's a guy that I think is definitely worth keeping your eye on to see how he looks. Oscar Steen as well. Um you know, any of the guys that are going to be challenging for presumably third or fourth line minutes. You know, I think the Bruins do have a pretty good idea that Craig Smith and Charlie Coyle will be on that third line, but who knows? There could be someone that takes that spot on the left side on the third line, and then the fourth line is, you know, who knows? Chris Wagner be in the mix, probably no sick. Uh, Nick Foligno, but then, you know, you mentioned some of the young guys. Oscar Steen. Johnny Beecher, um, you know, Mark McLaughlin. Those are some guys that could certainly challenge for spots. You know, Jack Stednika is also a name. I think that he is probably one of the most important players to watch um, in training camp and in the preseason just to see how he looks. Um, you did see him play with Lysel a little bit last year in the preseason. So I would love to see that again, you know, kind of surround Jack with some really dynamic offensive players. Um, I think that his progress will be very interesting to watch. You know, does he win a fourth line job? Does he start the season in Boston? You know, I think that he's one of the players that the Bruins are hoping that uh, Jim Montgomery can kind of tap into and kind of get more out of Trent Frederick as well. You know, trying to figure out, okay, what is his game? Is he going to be more than just, you know, a <laughs> a bottom six pest instigator, whatever you want to call him, or do the Bruins try to develop more in his game? Um, you know, the defenseman will be interesting. Zaboral will definitely be a guy that's going to be thrust into a larger role uh, to start the season, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, Hampus Lindholm, really excited to see how he does. You know, maybe not necessarily, oh, you know, how well he plays in the preseason because he's a season pro, but you know, he's a guy at the beginning of the season, the Bruins are really hoping that he can provide 
some good stability on that top pair. Um, and Brandon Carlo, you know, honestly, actually might talk about him a little bit later, but I think that he's a really important player to watch in training camp. You know, he's another guy that the Bruins are hoping that the train, the new uh, coaching staff can kind of unlock him, so to speak, and kind of get him back to being that young shutdown defenseman. And chances are he probably plays a lot of minutes on that first line or on that first pair with Lindholm. But I also think that if Jakob Zaborl has a strong enough training camp and strong enough preseason, you could possibly see him playing some top pair minutes, you know, as he's a guy that can play both sides. You know, Connor Clifton, I would say, he's an exciting guy to watch. He just always is, just the way that he plays. Um, but I do think that he kind of came into his own a little bit last season. So I'm curious to see how he does. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what type of role the Bruins have for him. You know, he might be forced into playing top four minutes, but I do think that he responded well to more minutes last year. So excited to see what he can bring. Uh, but I do think there was actually another Bruins thing that I did want to talk about. So uh, David Pasternak did skate for uh, captain's practice this past week. I think that that was... Maybe that was Friday, whatever day it was. Um, but he made some interesting comments um, about his contract situation that I think should make you feel pretty good that he does want to be here long term. Um, you know, there was some quote that he said. Um, so here he is. He says, uh, when asked if he was hopeful to come to an agreement with the Bruins, he says, yeah, of course, this city is where I got the chance to become the player I am and to become the human being I am. The Bruins organization has played an unbelievable part in it. I came here as a kid and now I'm a man, you know, so I'm extremely happy. A lot of great memories. And as I said many times, I love it here and it's an honor to wear the jerseys. So uh, me personally, I think that tells you all you need to know uh, about what he thinks about signing here long term. You know, I think I'd be more concerned if he gave you like an like a non-answer. But I think him just saying about the organization and you know being happy and being hopeful that they can sign the extension. You know, I think that end of the day he wants to be here. The team wants him to be here, and I think that you should see a contract extension uh, be signed in the next week or so. I really wouldn't be surprised um, because I think that just is the words of a player that wants to be here and wants to be here long term. And I think he went on to say, you know, more about how much he and his um, he and his fiance, he and his wife, or he and his girlfriend, I should say. Um, they've loved their time here and they've really enjoyed it. And I think that saying things like, this is our home, you know, we love it here. It's like, that's not, that's not the words of a player that wants to, you know, test the free agent waters. You know, I think that's a guy who wants to be here, you know, referencing the, he came in as a, uh, came in as a kid, you know, and now as a man, you know, it's kind of interesting that, he came in as this, you know, 18, 19 year old. And now, you know, he's 26 and he's 
one of the best goal scorers in the league. So um, I do think that this will get done. And I think that Bruins fans should feel pretty confident and should, you know, breathe a sigh of relief that, yeah, David Pasternak does want to be back. And I think that um, I'm going to be curious to see what the numbers look like. You know, I do think that, you know, Ty Anderson has mentioned a few times that, you know, the Bruins might give him the Kucherov contract, you know, eight years for $9.5 million. I do think it's possible the Bruins could get him signed for $8 million or 8500000 You know, I think that Don Sweeney um, historically has done a tremendous job of, you know, re-signing his own players and giving guys good amount of money, but also, you know, something that works for the Bruins long term. I don't really think David cares about money, to be perfectly honest, but I do think that he will want like a good chunk of change. You know, I think that I've always said that if it's somewhere between eight and ten million, I'm fine. You know, ten million is kind of the limit that I would go, but I think David Bostronock and the Bruins will be able to find, you know, common ground uh, between those two numbers because obviously he is well-deserving of a raise considering how good he's been in the last few years. Um, but I do think that this does get done, and I think that we can feel pretty confident that it will get done. So uh, before we move on, you know, I mentioned Brandon Carlo is one of the guys to to watch during you know training camp in the preseason and someone that I think the Bruins do kind of have a lot riding on him. You know, I think that He's a guy that has maybe regressed over the last two seasons. And, you know, I think that he shared a lot. You know, he had a... There were a couple of articles in The Athletic that um, I thought were interesting. You know, one of them was he talked with uh, Fluto Shinzawa and just kind of made some comments about how, you know... And I'm kind of... I'm kind of, I kind of want to be careful with what I say. Because I don't, I'm not trying to say that Cassidy wasn't a good coach. You know, I think that that's not, that's not exactly what he said. But I do think it's sometimes he said that, you know, he was scared to make a mistake or, you know, kind of scared to screw up. And, you know, maybe there was some, you know, stuff going on mentally that maybe he was struggling with. And I think, you know, you can find the full article on, on The Athletic, but I do think he kind of alluded to that you know, Bruce could be a little bit heavy-handed with kind of the, like, giving feedback, I guess. And I think that, you know, over time, a person that kind of gives you feedback and kind of gives it to you in a harsh way, that can kind of weigh on you after a few years. And I think that, you know, this was a team that I think they're in kind of a state of transition where, there are a lot there are a lot of younger guys, but I think that you do have, you know, your great young players like Pasternak and McAvoy, but it's like you do have guys like Carlo, you do have guys like Grizzly, you do have guys like you know, some of the young forwards. And it's like you want to be able to relate to those guys. And this is also difficult because I think some people might listen to that and be like, oh my God, these younger players are so soft, like why? can't they deal with the coach being harsh? And I just think like sometimes athletes change, you know, kind of the, the modern day athlete has changed a lot and it changes constantly. And I think, that, you know, 
It's just a coaching decision that I think was possibly just made for the best. And obviously we won't know until we see this team on the ice and see how they do in the first couple of years with Jim Montgomery. But I think that it could have just been that it was time for a change. And I think that Carlo is one of those guys that could do really well with the change. And I think that, you know, he's a guy that you want to have him playing at his full confidence because at his full confidence and at his best, he's one of the best young shutdown defensemen in the league. And so I think if the Bruins can kind of get him and unlock him a little bit more, you know, he could be huge playing with Lindholm. Obviously, he didn't play great with, play great with Lindholm last year, but I do think the Bruins are going to give that pairing a run on the top pair, and you hope that, you know, whatever Brandon was going through, he can figure it out and he can be more confident. You know, there was another article that I had seen in the Athletic that talked about getting players like Carlo more involved in the offense and moving up the ice. You know, you might notice that the Bruins, you know, do a lot of defensemen kind of getting it to the forwards, and then they kind of stay back. You know, I think with Montgomery, he wants to get those offensive. He wants to kind of get more of an offensive mindset with the defenseman. But I also think one of the interesting things that uh, Brandon talked about in the article uh, with Fluto is that, you know, he was often told that, you know, oh, you have these great offensive instincts, but, or offensive capabilities or whatever, whatever the term was, um, but that there really wasn't any direction for how he could use that. You know, that it was basically like, oh, you know, you have some good offensive instincts, but, you know, it stopped there. You know, no one else, no one told him, you know, what, what he could do to help kind of unlock that. And so I think having a coaching staff that can be, you know, more clear with like, okay, you have some good offensive abilities. Here's what we can do to help. And I think that, you know, being someone that could jump up in the rush and be someone that can help get quick ups the quick ups um, on the ice, you know, could really be huge. And I think that this article also talked about having the having the defenseman putting more meaningful shots on goal. And, you know, if a shot isn't there, you hang on to the puck. You play a little bit more possession, you know. If an entry is not there to get into the zone, you circle back and you just keep the puck. You know, a lot of, you might have noticed in the playoffs, especially the Bruins had a lot of defensemen that just would throw pucks on net from 60 feet and no one would get in front of the net. It's like, okay, you know, you're not doing your team a service there. You know, you're doing a team, you're doing your team a disservice because you're basically just losing possession of the puck for no reason. And I think... Clearly, the Bruins want to get more traffic in front, but they also want their defensemen to hang on to the puck and kind of walk that blue line and be able to kind of have a little bit more, kind of make their team be a little bit more dangerous in the offensive zone and be able to create, you know, higher, high danger scoring chances. And, you know, a lot of what you saw last year, especially in the playoffs, the Bruins really couldn't get a lot of high-quality chances. They did at some point, but I think that you want to be able to be an offensive team that can be dangerous no matter what and no matter who's on the ice. So I think that that's going to be interesting to see if the defensemen do kind of take to this new philosophy um, and seeing if you can get defensemen getting more points, getting more involved, and getting maybe some 
more goals if they're lucky, but maybe more assists and, you know, things like that, making everyone more dangerous. So that's one of the things that I'm curious about for this season um, to see how the defensemen are involved. But uh, Brandon Carlo is definitely a guy that uh, we all want to see him get back to what he was um, two years ago or, you know, during that run to the Stanley Cup final because uh, that would be huge. It would really help the Bruins out a lot if he can, you know, play at that level and then the Bruins can get a McAvoy and a Grizzly back and be even more dangerous uh, defensively. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Red Sox. There's not a whole lot to, a lot, a lot new with the team. They did win two out of three against uh, the Royals this week, did lose a pair of games to the Yankees, you know, a couple games where the uh, pitching in the bullpen wasn't exactly at its best. Um, I do think that, and I've said this probably a couple times, but I think that uh, this is a group that uh, the bullpen needs to have a major facelift. Um, I think that there need to be a lot of new faces that come into this bullpen. Um, it just did not get the job done this year. Uh, Red Sox really couldn't hold on to a lot of leads. And, you know, I just think there were a lot of guys that just weren't good enough this year. And I think that you're going to need to see like a major overhaul for what the bullpen looks like, bringing in new guys, getting rid of guys that have been there for a few years and just really haven't been good enough. You know, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see Tanner Houck, especially do they continue to use him as a closer? Um, you know, Matt Barnes has come back into the fold. What's the deal with him? Um, you know, I think that there have been some decent guys. Matt Strom, I thought, has pitched pretty well this season. You know, Jake Diekman obviously didn't work out. He got traded. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting offseason for kind of the bullpen and how do the Red Sox kind of revamp it. Because I think that's really what, they, what they're going to need to do. Um, one of the interesting things, though, this season, and there's not been a lot of positive, obviously, with the team in last place with 16 games to go. But one of the interesting parts of the season is how the Red Sox have fared against the Yankees. Um, and I know that it's not as simple as, you know, the Yankees have won 9 out of 15 you know, but the Red Sox, oddly enough, have kind of held their own against this team this year, which is kind of interesting. You know, I think that we've heard all year that, oh, the Red Sox couldn't win any games against the division, which, you know, is kind of true. But it's like you look at how they've done against the Yankees. There are a lot of games that have been close, you know, and there's not a lot of games that you say, oh, the Yankees completely obliterated the Red Sox. You look at some of the games that they've played this season. You know, a lot of the games are close. You've had some blowouts, obviously, you know, most mostly by the Yankees, but a lot of these games have been close. You've had a lot of six to five, four to two, four to three, five to four, three to two, three nothing, five three, seven six. Um, and it's just been interesting that this team has just kind of been out of it almost all year. But they've not done that poorly against the Yankees. They've done a lot poorly, or a lot more poorly against um, your Tampa Bays and your Torontos. Um, but it is kind of interesting that this is a group that 
oddly enough, has been able to kind of contend with this Yankees team. Uh, they do have three more games left to play this season later this week. But it just kind of was always interesting to me this season in particular that, you know, this is a Yankees team that looks like they're unbeatable and the Red Sox have kind of been able to win some games against them. Um, you know, obviously this is a Yankees team that is totally taken a nosedive in the second half of the year. Um, so that could have something to do with it. But I felt like the Red Sox have played the Yankees fairly well this year, which, you know, maybe gives you some hope that, okay, this team may not be that far off. You know, if they can make the right moves this offseason, which it is a big if, to be perfectly honest, but I do think they can make the right moves. They can contend with some of these teams. You know, you can clean up your records against a Tampa Bay and against a Toronto, and obviously easier said than done, but I think this might give you a little glimmer of hope that, okay, this is a Red Sox team that has been dis disjointed, disarrayed pretty much all season, and they've still been able to get some wins against the Yankees or play well against them. You know, the Yankees have obviously had unbelievable offensive firepower with Judge having the season having the season that he's having, but, you know, the Red Sox really haven't been out of too many games against the Yankees this year, so um, that's been kind of interesting to watch. Uh, the Red Sox did lose both of them to the both games to the Yankees this past week, uh, but they get to play them again a three, uh, four game set, I think, at some point uh, this week. I think that they have an off day to travel, and then they're playing uh, the Cincinnati Reds for two games, and then they'll travel to New York, play a four-game set against the Yankees, and that will be their final series against the Yankees this season. So that would be kind of interesting to see how they do in those games. Um, there were some headlines that the Red Sox made as uh, Kevin Ploiecki was designated for assignment. So for all intents and purposes, released. You know, I think it's just a fancy way fancy baseball term for saying a player got released. And, you know, that was tough. You know, Ploiecki never really been a guy that's going to make a lot of headlines with, you know, his offense or his defense. I thought that actually he's improved defensively this season. But, you know, kind of one of those guys that is just good for morale, good for the locker room. And I think that there were a couple guys that were maybe a little bit upset that he was released. And I think that Look, he's always been a good positive guy for the years that he's been on this team, but I do think that the Red Sox are in a position where they kind of want to revamp that position. You know, trading Christian Vasquez, I think also maybe wasn't exactly the most popular move uh, with the team, you know, and I don't think that this move is necessarily a popular move with the team either, but, you know, the team must think that, okay, you've got a couple of kind of young, up-and-coming guys that you kind of want to see what they have. You know, Reese McGuire, I think, brought over in the trade with the White Sox at the deadline, oddly enough, has actually played pretty well. Uh, I think that it's so interesting that, you know, the trade deadline was talked about a lot here, you know, and a lot of it was talked about Vasquez and, you know, how on earth can you trade a guy who was that popular in the locker room? Lost in a lot of that was Reese McGuire and Tommy Pham, who have honestly played really, really well uh, since those trades. So, you know, McGuire's a guy who I think is still 
you know, relatively young. So I think that keeping him around, you know, makes some sense. And then you got Connor Wong too out of the Mookie Betts trade. And, you know, he's here. And I think you kind of want to see what you have with both of these guys, you know, going forward with the position. Because I think, look, the Red Sox made the decision that they made with Vasquez. They wanted to try to get a little bit younger. And, you know, here's an opportunity. And here's an opportunity with Ploiecki released. You got 16 games left. You can kind of see what both of these two guys can do. And I think that it's a decision. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I love the decision to get rid of, you know, two catchers that were really popular with your team. But I do think that there comes a point in time where you kind of want to plan for the future. Because look, Vasquez is a great player, but he's, I think he's 32. You know, Ploiecki is a decent player, but he's kind of getting up there in age. And I think that you want to try to get younger. And I think try to see what some of these younger guys can do. And that's kind of what the rest of the season looks like for the Red Sox, that they're kind of giving, you know, open auditions to some of these guys that could be a part of the organization moving forward, or maybe not. You know, obviously, ideally, we want the youngsters to do well and be a part of this team going forward, but some of them might not do very well. So, you know, I think that it's going to be what it's going to be. This is not a team that's contending the rest of the season. You know, I think you kind of want to see what you have with some of these youngsters. I think that uh, Brian Bayo, for example, is a youngster that I think the Red Sox will be watching his progress very, very closely as he probably will make three or four starts the rest of the season. He does start tomorrow night in Cincinnati. You know, you've seen some incremental improvements with his game. You know, he's not, it's not exactly been, um, noticeable on the win column per se as he's one and six. But um, I think that you've seen some small improvements. You've seen good strikeouts, uh, good strikeout rates in certain games. And I think he's been solid enough that, you know, you kind of like what you see. And I think I said this last week, you know, it'll be interesting to see, do they kind of think that he can be a guy that can pitch um, in the rotation next season? You know, that will be kind of curious to watch. Um, I thought he pitched fairly well in that Yankees game earlier this week. The Red Sox obviously lost that game 5-3, to three, but I do think that you're seeing him improve a little bit. He'll get another chance to pitch against the Yankees um, Sunday night next week. So that will be interesting to pay attention to. And then obviously this outing against the uh, Reds tomorrow. Um, but I think that you want to see some improvements from him. You know, I think ideally, and I've probably said this once or twice, ideally you probably didn't want him pitching at all this season, but, you know, you had to, and I think that he's adjusted, and I think having him with a full training camp, and or training camp, him with like a full spring training and, and all that, you could maybe see some even some bigger improvements that the Red Sox might feel comfortable to put him in the rotation uh, when when the season starts next year, so... That is kind of interesting to watch. You know, as I said, the schedule the rest of the week, two games against the Reds, um, then a four-game set against the Yankees in New York. So the Red Sox will be on the road all this week. And then I think actually after the Cincinnati two-gamer, the Red Sox will be playing the American League East the rest of the season 
all the teams, uh, the Yankees, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and the Rays. So I think that's probably going to be it for the Red Sox. Team sits at 71 and 75. We'll take a look at the standings later. You know, the <laughs> there's a chance the Red Sox probably have to win all 16 of their games. But um, I think that, you know, you're just going to kind of see the youngsters get opportunities down the stretch. I also should note that Xander Bogarts is in uh, contention for the American League batting title. So that might be something to you know, watch for the last couple of weeks of the season um, as he's had a really solid season at the plate. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics um, who have made a couple of moves for their rosters. I think that they sit at 19 players. Um, I think you have to go into training camp with 20 players. So uh, Celtics are at 19 at the moment. Obviously still dealing with the injury to uh, Danilo Gallinari. I, knew, I did know that there were, you know, rumors out there about Carmelo Anthony. You know, I kind of made my thoughts known on that, that, you know, sure, I think he'd be a decent ad, but I do think that the Celtics are probably not going in that direction. You know, I think if they wanted to sign him, they probably would have done so by now. So I think that they're just going to kind of go into the season and see what some of these younger guys and, uh, journeyman can do. You look at, you know, Noah Vonley and Bruno Cavaclo, you know, a couple of guys that uh, will compete for spots at training camp and hopefully get a roster spot. But I do think that, you know, losing Gallinari, huge opportunity for Sam Hauser. You know, we've talked about him a couple times over the last few weeks. Um, and so I think he's a guy that I think is going to get a big opportunity. You know, the Celtics want to see him what he can do with regular minutes, you know, the Celtics believe in him, you know, gave him a contract this past off season. So, or this off season, I should say. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what he can do. You know, I think that we know what he can do shooting the ball in, you know, the small sample size that he's had. Um, but I think the Celtics obviously want to see more out of him defensively and hope that he can be a regular, you know, NBA contributor. So, that is kind of interesting. The Celtics did also give uh, camp, I think, camp roster spots to a couple of players, a couple names you might recognize. Uh, Justin Jackson, who actually played for uh, the summer league team for the Celtics. You might remember him. He played at North Carolina, first-round pick of the Portland Trailblazers in 2017. He's bounced around the league, played for uh, the Kings, the Mavericks uh, played part of a season in Milwaukee, uh, was actually on the Bucks roster when they won the championship, uh, did actually play in a game for the Celtics last season, um, then played in six games for Phoenix. So, you know, he's a guy that can shoot a little bit. You know, that's, he shot, shot decently well, um, I think, in college at UNC, you know, the Celtics just trying to see what he can do, you know, 6'8", 220. So is a guy that, you know, could probably be a similar play, a similar piece off the bench that Gallinari was. Not the same player, obviously, but I think similar type of skill set, you know, someone who's kind of a, a shooter, you know, hasn't played a lot in the NBA, has only played in 250 games um, in a cup in... Um, 
just do the math here in eight seasons. So he's not really a guy that's played a lot of games, but you know, who knows? Um, the Celtics also signed uh, Denzel Valentine. You might remember him. He played at Michigan State um, and has bounced around in the league a little bit. A first-round pick of the Chicago Bulls in 2016. Played uh, his first four seasons with Chicago and then spent last season in Cleveland and in Utah. Um, you know, not really... Anything to shout home about for this guy, you know, same amount of games as Justin Jackson, you know, shoots a little bit from three, you know, shot 40% from three uh, last season in 24 games. So he's another guy, you know, a little bit smaller, kind of more on the uh, combo guard side, uh, 6'4", 220, so he's a little bit smaller, but he's a guy that I think does have ability to handle the ball a little bit. You know, he's played a decent amount in the league, you know. Four seasons in Chicago, played as many as 77 games in his seasons. He's a guy that can play. Um, and then the Celtics also signed Jake Lehman, who played college ball in Maryland and is actually from uh, Rentham, Massachusetts, was a second-round pick of the Orlando Magic in 2016. Played three years of his career in Portland, and then three, or the last three, I should say, in Minnesota. Played in 243 career games. He's played, I think, more regular minutes than like Justin Jackson, per se. Um, averaged nine points in the 2019-20 season. Uh, played 34 games last year. Did actually start a game. Uh, shot 30% from three, so really not too much of a three-point shooter. Did shoot 46%, or is 46% shooter for his career. Um, so he's kind of more of a forward, 6'8", 209 pounds. So curious to see what he can do. You know, obviously it's kind of interesting, the local angles. He is from, or I should say he's from Norwood. He played college basketball um, at King Philip Regional in Rentham. So I'm curious to see what he can do uh, preseason coming up at the end of the month. October 2nd actually is their first game. So I think... Training camp is supposed to start next week, so there'll definitely be some reports out of there. Um, and then they go to preseason games, so that will be interesting. Um, I do think that if some of these guys don't really turn into much, you know, if the Celtics don't think that these young guys can make a difference, and I'm not, well, actually, all three of those guys, um, and then Vonley and Cavaclo, they're not young guys necessarily. They've been in the league for a couple of years. Um, but I think if the Celtics, you know, find out that they really don't think any of these guys can be, you know, quality NBA players for them, they may look into kind of the veteran addition, you know, bring in someone like a Dwight Howard or a Boogie Cousins. You know, I don't think they're bringing Carmelo at this point, but I do think that there could be a possibility that the Celtics could bring in some older veterans. You know, the guys that I mentioned are veterans technically because they've been in the league for a couple years, but not really guys that have played major minutes. So it'll kind of be interesting to see what these guys can do in camp. Um, hopefully they can do well enough to earn a regular roster spot. But I do think that there are a lot of these guys that are just here for training camp, just here for competition. Most of these guys probably aren't going to be earning roster spots, but it'll be interesting to see 
Um, so I think that's probably going to be it for the Celtics. We do have a great Celtics guest coming on next week um, for Guest Friday, so I'm really excited for that. We'll be talking even more Celtics um, at that point. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. I'm going to move on to the Revolution quickly. Um, and unfortunately, things aren't good for the Revolution. Uh, another loss this weekend, a one nothing loss to Montreal. Um, then they had also lost earlier in the week to Houston, 3-1. You know, Houston's one of the worst teams in the league, and so I think the Revolution couldn't win that game. I think that their postseason hopes are pretty much dashed, you know, and then they got hit even more with the loss to Montreal. And, you know, I just think that, as I said a number of weeks ago, the Revs were going to have chances. And I think that, unfortunately, through points of the season, they weren't able to pack enough points and, unfortunately, put put themselves in this position where, you had to win, you know, a lot of your games at the end of the season. I kind of said that, that you can't really do that, you know, and I think unfortunately we kind of just unfortunately saw what this team was this year, and what we saw was a team that really didn't get out of the gate with a lot of consistency and a lot of confidence, and they kind of just slogged through the season, you know, never really got their legs under them. You know, I think that a lot of games that they lost where, you know, there wasn't much happening offensively. Games that they came in with no energy, and it just is kind of wild to look at a team that here is a team that was the best team in Major League Soccer history last season, um, you know, setting the record for most points. And, you know, granted, they did lose a lot of talent, you know, at points, or they lost Tejon Buchanan in the offseason, you know, lost Matt Turner and Adam Buxa during the season. Um, but I do think that this is a team that was talented enough, but they just couldn't get enough continuity in terms of the, the offensive players that they brought in in the offseason or in the season. You know, this is a team that brought in Sebastian Legette, brought in Josie Altidore, they didn't even last a full season with this team. So, you know, they just couldn't get those guys to work. And then, you know, the acquisitions, uh, Giacomo Vrioni, you know, really hasn't played. I know that he's been dealing with some injuries. You know, Dylan Barrero, we've not seen him in months. You know, Gustavo Bo has been in and out of the lineup. And it's just, you can't expect to be a very good team if you have all of those guys that I mentioned, you know, being not available for portions of the season. And, you know, that was my main concern when Buxa left that, okay, you have Carlos Heel, but it's like, who else do you have? Who else do you have in that lineup that's consistent enough to score goals? And I think, you know, Buxa fortunately was able to play himself out of the league, which is great for him personally, but it's not good for this team. You know, he played himself out of the league. He was playing so well that he got an offer to play overseas in France. And it's just like the revolution needed guys that could score goals. And, you know, Gustavo Bo did a little bit, but he's not consistent enough to be in the lineup. And I think the revolution waited for, you know, him and Barrero and Vrioni to get into form and they kind of never did. So, you know, they're still trying to work Vrioni into the lineup, but I think you saw him play in Montreal, but it's like, 
he's not really played much this season. Um, the Revolution also, you know, had the acquisition of Tijuri Shradi from the, um, I forget which team he played for, but there's another guy. We've not seen him on the field, so it's just lack of consistency, lack of continuity, and I think that the Revs, unfortunately, are paying for it, you know, sitting in the position that they're in, four points out of the, out of a playoff spot with two games left. You know, certainly it's possible, but, you know, the Revs are going to need to win both of these last two games, and they're going to need to get serious help, so... It really doesn't look good, but it just is, it's frustrating that the season really kind of got away from them, and it really seemed like they never had it, even at one point, or even at any point. So, I think, you know, there really, there really isn't much hope for kind of a playoff run with this team, as they're sitting in, I think, 11th place, if I take a look at the, uh, the table. Uh, Revolution, yeah, 11th place, four points back of 7th place Inter-Miami, and, you know, a lot of these teams have three games left, so the Revolution do need a lot of help if they're going to get in. The Reds do, uh, don't actually play until um, October 1st. I think that there is, obviously, the international break with a couple of um, fixtures for uh, the U.S. men's national team. The Reds play their next game. October 1st against Atlanta FC. That is their last home game. So, you know, as I said, it's pretty much simple. They have to win these last two games, and they're going to need a serious amount of help if they're going to have any chance um, to get to the playoffs. So, unfortunately, it's just kind of been a disappointing year for them. Um, you know, you hope that things get better in the off season, but, you know, you do have to think that I think Bruce Arena... I don't want to say that he's on the hot seat because I don't want to, you know, set anyone off. But I do think that there does absolutely need to be some blame for a team that grossly underachieved. And I understand that, yes, there were times this season where a lot of guys weren't available. You know, you lost a lot of talent. But it's like, this is still a team that had the MLS MVP last year and you're staring down the barrel of missing the playoffs after a year that you set the league record for points you know there has to be some type of blame there I'm not going to say that oh Bruce deserves to be fired I'm not trying to say that but I do think that okay there really needs to be some kind of there needs to be accountability with the coaching staff where there's no reason that this team should have underachieved as much as it did. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the season and in the off season. So I think that we're going to move on to um, some non-New England sports stuff. NFL Week 2 had plenty of games or had a game Thursday night and then had games yesterday. There are two Monday night football games tonight. Um, first up is the Titans and the Bills at 7.15. That game is on ESPN. And then at 8.30, you have the Vikings and the Eagles playing on ABC. So 
New York or Buffalo will be the site for the uh, first game. Titans, Bills, Josh Allen and the Bills, obviously, were tremendous in that season opening game against the Rams. They'll be back home. I don't really think the Titans have a chance in this game. I think the Bills run away with this one again. Um, Derrick Henry, I think, has a better game tonight than he did week one, but I just think this is a Titans team that lost a lot of talent, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to hang with Buffalo. So I think the Bills win big again in this one. Vikings-Eagles, that's going to be an interesting game. Um, I actually think this is going to be a great game. Um, you saw some really good games yesterday, or saw some really good games this week. I do think it's going to be one of them. Um, really liked what Minnesota was able to do offensively in week one. Uh, Philadelphia, to me, left a little bit to be desired defensively, so I'm a little bit concerned. But Philadelphia and their home opener, it's hard to pick against a team like the Eagles, um, just looking at all the talent that they have this season. Minnesota makes it close, but I do think the Eagles uh, move to 2-0 with a win. So obviously, we talked about the Patriots game. Uh, the Chiefs won on Thursday night football. A 27-24 great performance by uh, Justin Herbert, obviously. Getting hurt with the, the fracture of his uh, rib cartilage, so unclear about how long he's going to be out. Um, obviously, pick six was huge for the Chiefs. In the fourth quarter, they run away with it, 27-24. to 24. Um, This was a game that the Chargers, you know, down 10 points, had the ball with, you know, under two minutes to go. Got a touchdown, couldn't get the onside kick. Um, so the Chiefs are able to hang on. They improved to 2-0 with the win. And now we'll take a look at some games yesterday. The Jets got not, were able to recover an onside kick late in Cleveland. So the Jets get the touchdown and then get the go-ahead touchdown um, to beat the Browns 31-30. Joe Flacco uh, had four touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, two touchdowns. Uh, Nick Chubb for Cleveland had three rushing touchdowns. But the Jets shock the Browns late in this one. They get a touchdown, onside kick, and then win the game with a touchdown. So pretty remarkable comeback for the Jets, who get their first win of the season. The Lions get their first win of the season. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson setting the team single-game single, single record with three sacks. Amon Ross St. Brown had two touchdown catches, also had 68 rushing yards. So a surprising shootout in Detroit. Lions win over the Commanders 36-27. to Carson Wentz did actually have a pretty good game in this game. 337 yards and three touchdowns. So both teams at 1-1. One and one. The Buccaneers with a win over the Saints. This is another team that really has not looked good offensively in the first two games. Obviously, both wins against Dallas and the Saints, but, you know, I'm not going to make any assumptions about Tom Brady, but I do think that that offense has had some issues with continuity. I've had a couple guys, um, a couple important players that missed games yesterday. Uh, I think Julio Jones, Chris Godwin were out. Um, and then Mike Evans got ejected in the fourth quarter. A crazy brawl uh, between the Bucks and the Saints. Uh, but the Bucks were able to win. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore was also ejected from this game. So the Bucks win 20-7, to 20-10. Good defensive game. Jameis Winston intercepted a couple times. Um, you know, kind of just an ugly game. But the Bucks get the win. 
And then the Giants come up with a win, 19 to 16 over the Panthers. The Giants are 2-0, Panthers are 0-2. You know, not necessarily a great offensive showing for the Giants, but they got the win, 19 to 16, the final score. Probably the most surprising result of the day, the Jags, with a shutout of the Colts, 24 to nothing. Trevor Lawrence, a couple touchdown passes to Christian Kirk. And the Colts uh, really not in really not in a good position right now, you know, getting or tying against the Texans last week and then getting shut out by a team that probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But, you know, good to see Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville have a good game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was 25 of 30 in this game, so good win for the Jags in their home opener. I think it's nine straight years that the Colts have lost in Jacksonville. Um, and then probably the craziest game of the day, uh, the Dolphins coming all the way back from 21 points down to beat the Ravens 42-38. to Jalen Waddle with the game-winning touchdown with 14 seconds left. He had two touchdowns in this game. Tua Tagovailoa had his best game as a had his best game as a pro, 469 yards and six touchdowns. Lamar Jackson was uh, just just as good in this game, but the Dolphins obviously get the last laugh with the comeback win. The Rams hung on late to beat the Falcons, 31 to 27. Falcons trying to come back in this come back in this game, but the Rams with the late game interception. Matthew Stafford three touchdowns, two of them two. Cooper Cup Rams win 31 to 27. The 49ers uh, suffered a huge blow as Trey Nance um, has an ankle injury. He's going to need to have surgery, and I think he's out for the season. So Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, leads the 49ers to a 27 to 7 win over the Seahawks. So both teams move to one and one after that game. Uh, the Cowboys with a late field goal. To beat the Bengals 20 to 17. Cooper Rush, the new Cowboys quarterback after the injury to Dak Prescott, actually played pretty well in this game. So uh, good stuff for the Cowboys. They win their home opener 20 to 17. The uh, Broncos really slogged offensively in this game. Up uh, they were able to come up with a win over the Texans 16 to 9. They get their first win of the season. So not a, not a good game at all for the Broncos, but they come away with a win. That's kind of all that matters. Um, and the Packers with a dominating win over the Bears on Sunday Night Football last night. Um, Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers played really well in this game. So really no concerns for Green Bay as they are back offensively. Um, and then actually another great game, the Cardinals and the Raiders. Cardinals coming from a big deficit in the fourth quarter, uh, getting the game-tying two-point conversion with no time on the clock. Um, after getting a touchdown, Kyler Murray ran for uh, the score that made it 23-21, to and then he gets the two-point conversion with the throw to A.J. Green, and then a wild finish as Hunter Renfro uh, fumbles after a reception, and uh, the Cardinals run it back the other way for the game-winning touchdown. So Cardinals win 29-23. They get their first win of the season, and the Raiders drop to 0-2. So I think that's probably it for uh, 
all the scores for uh, yesterday. And then obviously we got two Monday night football games tonight, 7-15, Titans and Bills in Buffalo, and then 8-30, Vikings and Eagles in Philadelphia. So now moving on, we're going to take a look at the little bit of college football. There were some games, some interesting games this weekend. Um, most of the ranked teams took care of business. Um, Oregon with a huge win over BYU. Oregon 25th coming into the game, beat 12th ranked BYU 41-20. to uh, Wake Forest survived barely against unranked Liberty. They win 37-36. Florida with a close win over South Florida, 31-28. to uh, Washington, University of Washington upset Michigan State, 39-28. to Good offensive showing from them. Texas A&M bouncing back from their loss to Appalachian State, beating 13th-ranked Miami 17-9. So taking a look at the rankings now, we'll take a look at the rankings, then take a look at some games this week. Uh, the top seven completely unchanged. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma, and USC. A couple of teams that rose, Tennessee, NC State rising up four spots to 11th and 12th, respectively. Penn State jumping up to 14. Oregon jumping up to 10. And then Washington, after their upset win against Michigan State, made their first appearance in the top 25 this season. They are currently ranked at 18th. BYU falling to 19th. Miami falling all the way down to 25th. So that's what the rankings look like. And then taking a look at some games this week, Clemson, Wake Forest, an early game at 12 o'clock, Clemson 5th, Wake Forest 21st. So that will be a good early ranked game. And then 3.30, 11th ranked Tennessee takes on 20th ranked Florida. That's a 3.30 start on CBS. Arkansas, Texas A&M play at night at 7 o'clock, Arkansas 10th. Texas A&M 23rd, and then no ranked games. I think those are the only three ranked games that happen next week if you're interested in that sort of thing. So now we're going to take a look at Major League Baseball, just take a look at some notes, take a look at the standings as well. Aaron Judge within two of the American League home run record hit his 58th and 59th home runs. Yesterday, the Yankees win over the Brewers. Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros set a major league record with his 25th straight quality start. Uh, the Yankees getting Anthony Rizzo back from the injured list. Um, Ozzy Albies for the Braves broke his finger the other day. Um, he is hoping that he can return for the postseason. So now looking at the standings with two and a half weeks to go. Yankees still atop the American League East, a five-and-a-half game lead over Toronto, six games over Tampa Bay, and the Red Sox 17 games back of the Yankees, five-and-a-half back of Baltimore for fourth place. The American League Central, Cleveland leads the division by three-and-a-half games over Chicago, and then Houston has already clinched their division. Or no, they've clinched a playoff berth, I should say. They're 96-51, and 51, so first American League team to clinch a playoff berth. 
and then Seattle is 15 games back. So Houston should be able to clinch a postseason or clinch the division at some point this week. In the National League, the Mets with a one-game lead over the Atlanta Braves for first place in the National League Central in the or the National League East, I should say. In the Central, the Cardinals with an eight-game lead over the Brewers. So they look like they will be clinching the division at some point. Um, then the Dodgers obviously have already clinched the division and have clinched the best record, or pretty much have clinched the best record in the National League, you know, unless the Mets go on a run. But I think the Dodgers will be the number one seed, a whopping 21 games ahead of second place San Diego. So now looking at the wild card, we'll hop back to the American League. The uh, Blue Jays in the first division or the first position, followed by Tampa Bay and then Seattle. Baltimore is four games back. Chicago is five games back. And then in the National League, the Braves pretty much locked in as that first wild card spot. You know, unless they overtake the Mets, then in that case the Mets would be the number one wild card team. But Atlanta's number one right now. And then they are followed by San Diego and Philadelphia. Milwaukee is just two games back of the Phillies for that last wild card spot. So now moving into talking a little bit about the NHL, the Winnipeg Jets announced that they will enter the season without a captain. Uh, Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche appear to be close to a new contract for the superstar. Um, a couple of players that are in that are going to start training camps on professional tryouts. Um, Eric Stahl is one of them. Zach Aston Reese with Toronto. Derek Broussard with Ottawa. Calvin DeHaan with Carolina. The Bruins have not signed anyone to a professional tryout. I don't believe that they will. Um, Eric Stahl with Florida uh, right now. Jimmy Vesey back with their Rangers, the team that signed him um, initially. So preseason games uh, do start this week for the NHL. Um, the Bruins will play the Philadelphia Flyers. At, I believe it's at home. Just double check this very quickly. Uh, we'll just take a look at the Bruins preseason schedule. Um, the Bruins will travel to Philadelphia for their preseason opener this weekend. Um, then the Bruins will host the New York Rangers, and then they will host Philly again, and then they will travel to New Jersey and New York, play the Devils and the Rangers, and then their preseason finale is against the Devils at home. And I think before we go, I'll give you guys an update on the NBA. Dennis Schroeder has uh, returned to the Lakers, which is uh, a little bit comical as he was the uh, same guy that turned down $100 million from that Lakers, same Lakers franchise two years ago, so or a year ago, I should say. So he's back with the Lakers on a one-year deal worth uh, about $2 million. Uh, NBA preseason games start. Um, on September 30th, it looks like. <clears throat> so I think that's probably going to do it for do it for me this week. I know it was a, 
a long episode. We had a lot of stuff that we got to, but uh, really looking forward to Guest Friday later this week. We'll obviously let you guys know who is joining me on Friday, and we'll get you guys to be able to listen to that on Friday. So hopefully you enjoy that. Um, as always, you can listen to the pod on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can give us a rating and a review. You know, always open to reviews and constructive criticism and you know anyone that wants to hear more about a certain topic we can definitely do that um, and then follow on Spotify and be sure to follow the uh, Twitter pages and the Facebook pages or the Twitter and Facebook pages uh, for the latest updates all right everyone have a good rest of your week and we will talk to you again on Guest Friday.